The title of this morning's message is Identity, Flesh Head, and Temptations. This morning, I want to continue to talk to you about living in faith from our new identity as sons of God and as bondservants of God in the midst of various temptations. The last time I ministered, we left off in James chapter 1, verse 8, which says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It was with this scripture where I showed you a picture of what I call flesh head. <laughs> so to remind you, <laughs> I have it for you again. And again, for those listening, this is a picture of something that somebody probably made for Halloween. It's a head that appears to be made out of some kind of pate, and it has a sauce flowing down one side of the face to make it look like it's disintegrating. And it's seated on a platter of lettuce and garnished with tomatoes and mushrooms. So obviously it was meant to be eaten, but it's really ugly. <laughs> and that's actually why I like it, <laughs> because flesh head is really ugly. <laughs> Everybody's flesh head is really ugly. And if we're acting ugly, it's because we are believing and listening to the ugly flesh head and not to our new creation identity. It is super important for us to understand that we are not flesh heads. <laughs> this is something we are afflicted with. This is not who we are. We have a brand new identity and flesh head is not it. <laughs> we are born of God. We are sons of God and we are adopted bond servants of God. And that is our real identity. The old us died. We were crucified with Christ and now Christ Jesus is our new life and our new identity. And we can see this in Romans chapter 6 beginning with verse 6. I have it for you in the Passion Translation. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Verse 7, obviously a dead person is incapable of sinning. I actually like the King James better in this one particular verse because it says, for he that is dead is freed from sin. In the Passion Translation, they made sinning an action. That wasn't what we got rid of. <laughs> we got rid of the very power of sin. Verse 8, and if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will share in the fullness of his life now. And we know that since the anointed one has been risen from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all, but he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. And so do we. We died to sin once for all. Sin no longer has dominion in us. It's not in there. Sinners sin because they're sinners. <laughs> we are not sinners. We are saints. We are sons of God. We have a brand new nature, which is love. And we, as adopted sons and adopted bondservants, we seek to please our Father because that's our new nature. Romans 6.11, 
so let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined to him, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily in God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. Why does he bother to tell us this? Because we don't continually view ourselves as dead. And why don't we? Flesh head. <laughs> flesh head shows up and says, no, you want to do what flesh head wants to do. No, we must continually remind ourselves of who we really are and what we're really made of, so to speak. We're not made of pate. <laughs> what I want you to see in this passage is that seeing ourselves in our new identity is absolutely necessary if we are going to live victoriously. Because if we don't know or really understand that we are no longer under the power of sin, we will live according to our flesh head. Our flesh head is the natural, carnal, worldly, unrenewed thinking and believing. Our flesh head is full of doubt and fear and unbelief because it doesn't recognize the truth of our new identity as sons and servants of God. We have a good, good father and a loving and kind master who has already provided us with everything we need for life and godliness. And there is no situation that God has not already provided for. But our flesh head doubts what it cannot see or feel. So we often end up wavering back and forth between two opinions, God's opinion and flesh head's opinion. <laughs> and that brings us back to James 1.6 where James has just told his reader to ask God for wisdom in the midst of trials and temptations, knowing that God gives generously to all men, beginning in verse 6. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. God says, you're healed. Fleshhead says, I don't feel any different. <laughs> God says, you're prosperous. I don't see any increase in my income. Fleshhead wants to argue with the truth of what God says. Fleshhead is wrong <laughs> and fleshhead is not us it is the thinking and the programming and the learning of stuff that we have learned through our entire life that is not who we are it's just stuff in our head but let him ask in faith nothing wavering for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed in other words he's blown back and forth based on exterior pressures what I feel, what I see, what I hear. Our flesh head only wants to believe that. Verse 7, For let not that man think he shall receive, and that word there is lambano, to take and possess. <laughs> let not that man think he shall take and possess anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So this is where the flesh head comes into view in the scripture, <laughs> this unstableness we have access to two very different minds. The mind of the flesh, the mind of the flesh head, which is ugly, and the mind of Christ. And we can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things free, that are freely given to us. You see, your flesh head will not believe that God has already given you everything for life and godliness. Your flesh head says, I don't see it, I don't believe it. <laughs> we have to stop listening to flesh head. <laughs> One of the things the Spirit has to tell us and 
persuade our hearts is to believe just that, that God has freely given us all things for free without working for them, <laughs> without trying to earn them as a gift. Fleshhead cannot believe that. Only your new creation identity can believe that. Verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, fleshhead, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? I've tried a couple times. <laughs> Doesn't work very well. <laughs> but we have the mind of Christ. The phrase, the natural man, can be understood to include both an unregenerated person, somebody who does not have the Holy Spirit to open their eyes. It can also refer to the natural flesh head thinking. Our flesh head cannot understand that which is of the Spirit. Our flesh head thinks in the exact <laughs> opposite direction of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, the mind of the flesh is also very natural to us. We fall into natural thinking just like that. <laughs> what this does is it takes us from our high place of faith, knowing our true identity and what belongs to us, and it doesn't matter what the outside says, we can come to Christ and at the right hand of the Father and say, Father, this is what I need, and I know, Father God, that you have already provided for it. So I take hold of it, and I possess it, and I believe it, Father God, and I rest and I act on what you say is true. A flesh head says, no, get down from there. <laughs> Who do you think you are? You can't be at the right hand of the Father. Look how you acted yesterday. <laughs> Look what you said to your spouse. <laughs> flesh head wants you to be condemned because when we are condemned, we do not believe. We are at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. It's only through the Word of God and the promptings of the Holy Spirit that we come to realize what thoughts are actually true according to God. Because as sons and servants of God, God has given us the ability to think his thoughts. We have the mind of Christ right now. We don't have to do something to get it. <laughs> we already have it. <laughs> okay, God speaks to us in our mind. We actually have the very mind of Christ. Years ago, I and my friend worked together in a craft business. And uh, we made uh, handmade items, lampshades and that sort of thing. And it was, it was the business. That's how we made our living. And we would work all week constructing all of these lamps. And then we'd go in opposite directions to different craft shows. Well, a shipment of the little light gadgets didn't come in. And we didn't have enough that to, for both of us to take what we normally needed to sell. So it was, the question was, well, we don't have enough product. Maybe we should cancel this show. Canceling a show is never a good idea. It's like taking a day off of work without pay. <laughs> never a good idea. So my friend's like, what do I do? Even if I overnighted something, it wouldn't be here for us to get it, to use it. Because we always left at 2 o'clock in the morning to go somewhere. <laughs> and I said, well, let me think about this. See, and the Lord was teaching me, you have the mind of Christ. You do hear God. He speaks to you in your thoughts. And it's not just scripture. 
Scripture is awesome if you got the right ones. <laughs> but he doesn't always talk to us in Scripture. He talks to us like we talk to us. And I said, okay, Lord, I have the mind of Christ. What do we do about this? And I just got quiet just for a second. And this thought came. You only need enough for the ones you expect to sell. Now, we would set up a, a whole booth with about mm, 75 lamps. But we didn't sell 75 lamps. <laughs> we would sell maybe 25. So how many light gadgets do I actually need? 25. And I was like, all right. They were going to do both shows. That's how practical hearing God is. When we decide to quiet down the, oh God, what do I do? Oh, what do I do? You'll never hear God <laughs> screaming and crying about how bad things are and what are you going to do? No, we trust in the goodness of a good, good father. We trust that he hears us. And if we know he hears us, Amen. we know we have the petitions we've asked of him. Do I have to be upset? I don't have to be upset about what the world says or what my lack of understanding. This is where the asking for wisdom comes in. Very, very practical, day-to-day -day practical. You can hear God just by listening. <laughs> James 1.8. A double-minded man, flesh-head, Christ-minded, is unstable in all his ways. So when James says in verse 8 that a double-minded man is unstable, he's saying that this wavering back and forth between the mind of Christ and the mind of the flesh that this wavering presents itself as inconsistency. You see, what I could have done when God said, you only actually need 25, I could have said, yeah, but what if that's not enough? You see, I could have not listened. <laughs> okay, that's what this flesh head does to us. I heard God, but do I believe it? <laughs> I heard this, but is it really God? Is it just me or is it really God? We have to trust the fact that we already have the mind of Christ. We are his sheep and we hear his voice. He speaks to us in our thoughts and in our intuition. So this wavering presents itself as being inconsistent. That's what unstable means. A double-minded man is inconsistent when it comes to counting it all joy. <laughs> well, maybe it'll be joyful. <laughs> maybe I can get what I'm asking. No, all the time. God is faithful. God never lies. God never falls short. I can trust him. I can always trust him. So this inconsistency shows up when we are not counting it all joy in the midst of trials. The inconsistency shows up in our keep believing. Because I'm keeping believing today, <laughs> but I don't feel like believing tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> I want to believe, but you know, the flesh head keeps talking to me and we grow impatient. We lose our cheerful enduring and our waiting. And according to James, he is inconsistent in receiving what God wants him to have. You see, when we're inconsistent, it's like this wave. God tries to bring what you asked for, and then you go, oh, I don't know where God is at, and it goes away. <laughs> and God says, here it is, and we don't take it again. And we, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> and we keep talking ourselves out of the truth of reality of who God is and who we are. So what I also like is that this inconsistentness, it shows up in us as fear, doubt, and unbelief. But 
this idea of being inconsistent says in all his ways. Now that always bothered me, okay? Because we let's face it, we all have a flesh head. <laughs> Does that mean we are inconsistent in all our ways? No, no, it doesn't. It means, like he was saying, we believe, we receive when we pray, but then we doubt and we fear. God still gave it. We didn't take hold of it, but God still gave it. <laughs> okay, so we're inconsistent in receiving. Not because God didn't give, but because we didn't keep believing. We said, I still don't feel any different, God. When, when, when Jesus, when? <laughs> so what it goes on to try to explain is that this inconsistency inhibits our forward progress in our journey. In all his ways speaks of a road a journey that you go on. So when we are inconsistent and we're growing, <laughs> you know, we're trying to grow in Christ and we end up, this inconsistency causes us to not progress to where he would like us to. This is only in our understanding, however. One of the reasons I like this picture is because it makes sense to me that sometimes we can be disappointed with our own spiritual progress. I remember thinking when I made some kind of a mistake. And Mr. Fleshhead would show up and tell me how awful and horrible I was <laughs> and how I was a failure and always going to be a failure. And I would think, Jesus, shouldn't I be leaping over tall buildings by this point in my life? <laughs> Why am I still falling short in this particular area of my life? Why aren't I further along? <laughs> That's Fleshhead thinking. That's Fleshhead thinking. Okay, so we always think we should be farther down the road <laughs> than we think we are, because it is just a perception. This kind of thinking reveals that I don't know and understand my true identity, because the truth is I am not what I do. So if I fail, that does not make me a failure. When I sin, I don't become a sinner. What I do doesn't make me what I am. Jesus makes me what I am. But when I fail or fall into temptation, it simply demonstrates that I have an idea in my understanding that needs to either be matured or trained in righteousness. But the mistakes and failures never affect who and what I am. I am a son of God, a bondservant of God, and nothing can change that. If I don't understand what that means, though, I won't live the life God wants me to live. Because he wants us apprehending all of his goodness. He wants us to be the light of the world that does the $20 for somebody else. If we don't understand that it's him and us together. This is this thing God has just been <laughs> growing me. See, we grow in our understanding. Spiritually speaking, we don't actually grow because we're perfect and complete. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that's changing is the flesh head. He's dissolving, and the mind of Christ is taking over. Our new identity in Christ has made us perfect in our spirit. The real us is perfect. We are one spirit with Jesus, so we can't be anything less than Jesus is. You see, he created a bride that is perfect for him so that the two could become one. She's righteous and holy and perfect and complete because he is righteous and holy and perfect and complete. In our spirit man, 
We are the same as Jesus. We're the same kind. <laughs> we fit together perfectly as one. <laughs> it is this oneness that I want you to grab hold of, of just how much it means that we are one. So often, we hear a thought in our head, and maybe we act on it or we don't, and we find out 10 minutes later, oh, that was you. <laughs> but actually, it was also us. He causes us to think his thoughts because we're one. When he thinks it, I think it. That's how one we are. So unless a thought is obviously not from God, there's a pretty good chance. <laughs> My ordinary thoughts are coming from this union with Christ, the mind of Christ, because we are one. As sons and servants of God, our failures never come from who we are. They come from our flesh head, <laughs> which is full of lies and misunderstanding and misinformation and wrong interpretations. God does not need to fix us. I know it's very popular in the church to talk about being broken for God. We are not broken. <laughs> we are not broken. We are perfect in our spirit. That is the real us. It's like Michelle was saying earlier. The real us, come forth. Let the world see that you are the light of the world. Let the world see this oneness that you have in Christ, that the real you shows up on the outside instead of flesh head. <laughs> we are not broken, even if our feelings tell us we are. We can be brokenhearted. That doesn't make us broken. So there's nothing about the real us that needs to be changed but there's usually a boatload full of stuff <laughs> in our flesh head that needs to be saved and converted. <laughs> we need to conform our mind to the mind of Christ. Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. To conform means to be pushed into a mold. You don't fit into that mold, but the world wants to push us into its mold. It pressures us to think like they think, to live like they live, to believe what they believe. He says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't let it do that to you, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The flesh heads of this world will always try to pressure us to be like them. Paul says, don't let the world push you into their mold. Don't let them force you into their flesh head way of thinking. Instead, be transformed, metamorphosed. When we think of metamorphosis, we usually think of a caterpillar and a butterfly. For years, <laughs> at church mainly, I was taught that I used to be a caterpillar, a dirty little worm crawling on the dirt, and then I got saved. I became this beautiful butterfly. <laughs> That's not metamorphosis. <laughs> That's not the correct understanding of metamorphosis. The caterpillar and the butterfly are the same species. The caterpillar is a baby. The butterfly is the adult. They're not a different species. <laughs> one is a baby and one is mature. The caterpillar 
always has the complete DNA in itself to grow into the mature state of being a butterfly. It doesn't have to start over. <laughs> it's just a journey. <laughs> it's a progression of growth, babyhood into adulthood. My point is we are not trying to become something other than what we already are in Christ. Our new identities as sons and servants of God does not need to be changed or even matured. But our understanding of our new identity does. <laughs> our flesh head, our natural thinking and believing is what keeps us immature, not being able to grab hold of what God has given and take it into our possession. But as we let God renew our minds with the truth of his word, we mature in our understanding. And we go from living like carnal, flesh-headed babies. <laughs> yes, Paul talks about baby Christians who don't behave themselves. <laughs> In other words, they're little caterpillars. <laughs> but we renew our minds so that we begin to take hold of the mature life that is already ours in Christ. Mature butterflies exhibit and show outwardly the true identity, which is Christ. So for us, sometimes there are places in our life we don't have a lot of understanding, so we're still in the caterpillar stage. <laughs> we're not up there soaring and flying and making life look easy. <laughs> but it's just a matter of renewing our mind. As we mature in our understanding of who and what we are in Christ, we can show the world what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God looks like by how we live it out. Years ago, the Lord showed me this same truth through the transfiguration story. Matthew 17, 2 says this, And Jesus was transfigured before them, Peter, James, and John. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was as white as the light. And as I was reading about the transfiguration, the Lord asked me a question. He said, Do you know why Jesus could expose all of that glorious beauty and power like that? And of course I said, No. <laughs> he said, It's because there wasn't anything in his soul to prevent it. So who he was inside could easily, it's kind of like unzipping. He's going, look, this is really me. <laughs> this is what I look like. <laughs> there was nothing to hide the, his purity and his glory. He didn't have any old heart wounds that needed to be healed. He didn't have any unbelief or unforgiveness. He didn't have any judgmentalness or criticalness. He didn't have misunderstandings and misinformation in his soul. So to reveal his glorious spirit and his true identity was easy because there wasn't anything in Jesus to hinder it. He didn't have icky flesh head. He had humanity. <laughs> he had a body that would talk to him, but he didn't have all of the stuff that we deal with. In John chapter 14, verse 30, in the Amplified, it says this. Jesus said to his disciples, I will not talk with you much more for the prince, the evil genius and ruler of the world is coming. And he has no claim on me. He has nothing in common with me. There is nothing in me that belongs to him. And he has no power over me. The good news is, this is just as true about us as it was about Jesus. However, Jesus didn't have flesh head like we do. He didn't have all that bad information and bad experiences and traumas and, and all the things in our life that clog us up. <laughs> that caused the fear and the unbelief and the doubt. 
Jesus didn't have any of that. Jesus knew the truth of his identity. He knew he could unzip and go, look how glorious I am. The truth is that same exact glory is what we are. If I could unzip my <laughs> flesh suit, you would see the same glory as Jesus. You look just like Jesus with all the glory and power and beauty and holiness. That's the come forth. Come let the world see what Jesus is really like, that you are really one with him. So Jesus knew his identity. He knew he wasn't a failure. He knew exactly who he was and what he was here to do. That's important. You see, a lot of times we don't know exactly who we are. <laughs> we think we are our mistakes. We think we are our past. We think we are what somebody else said we were. But we're not. We are only what Jesus says we are. And we are just like him. To walk as Jesus walked, we need to know our true identity just like he did. So to diminish the effects of fleshhead, <laughs> we need to renew our mind with the truth of God's word. And we can see this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul encourages his protege Timothy to continue in faith and to grow, to grow in the knowledge of the truth, even in the midst of severe persecutions, trials, and diverse temptations. In this passage of scripture, the Apostle Paul has just warned Timothy about false teachers and how the false teachers were going from bad to worse. <laughs> they were being deceived and they were deceiving others. And one of his jobs was to correct the false teachers. He begins in verse 14. But you must cling to the things which you have learned and have been taught to believe, knowing who your teachers were. His teachers were his grandmother, his mother, the Apostle Paul, <laughs> good teachers. <laughs> and that from infancy, you have known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise to obtain salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I like the way he put this. He doesn't say the sacred writings tell you how to get saved. He says, the sacred scriptures tell you how to obtain salvation, the entirety of it. Yes, we come to Christ, but a lot of people have no idea that there's a whole lot more than the forgiveness of sins. They don't understand that there's a new covenant, that we get a brand new identity. All of this helps us obtain the fullness of our salvation through faith in Christ. Every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for convincing, that means to persuade, to persuade our heart, for the correction of error, yep, sometimes we get it wrong, and for the instruction in doing right. So that the man of God may himself be complete, and may be perfectly equipped for every good work. The good work that the Apostle Paul is talking about here was specifically the work of being the pastor at Ephesus, which was a huge, huge church. But it also included his traveling ministry and his overseeing of many, many more churches. What I like about this passage is that it basically says that it doesn't matter what kind of hardship or persecution we face, if we have faith in Jesus, if we know our new born-again identity and we have the written word of God, then we are fully furnished with everything we need to do what our Father has called us to do. I also like that the Apostle Paul is basically telling Timothy, I know who you are. I know your identity. He reinforces 
Timothy's real identity. This was a personal letter. This wasn't a, a letter to a church. This is to Timothy. And he says to Timothy that you are a man of God. He was born of God, filled with God, equipped by God, called by God, and had the word of God. <laughs> that was his true identity. That's our identity too. Born of God, filled with God, equipped by God, called by God, and we have the word of God. There is nothing we cannot overcome. So we are completely and perfectly equipped. Now there's a really good reason why the Apostle Paul did this. Why did the Apostle Paul tell Timothy what he saw in Timothy? It's really easy. Timothy has flesh head. <laughs> and flesh head will always tell us how far we fall short and how we really aren't smart and we aren't really important and we're not really good enough and we're not really qualified to do the things that God has called us to do. Your flesh will always tell you you can't. <laughs> God says, you and me, you can't do all things. Stop listening to Fleshhead. <laughs> the Timothy that he wrote to was known to be young and timid and maybe even a little reluctant because of how others saw him and how he saw him himself. You see, he knew he was young compared to the older fellows. And in Jewish culture, the older, the better. Young guys, whippersnappers, what do they know? <laughs> so he had this kind of information in his head. They're not going to respect me. They're not going to listen to me. I'm not old enough. I can't be their senior when I'm so much younger. That's flesh head. Timothy had flesh head. And so Paul basically reminds him, no, no, look at your true identity. Who are you in Christ? Who is Christ in you? Forget about the naysayers. Forget about your flesh head. Look to your true identity in Christ. After he tells him his true identity, he says this, preach. Go into the world and preach in season and out of season because you have been fully equipped. Don't let anybody stop you because of your youth. Like Timothy, we all need to be reminded once in a while of our true identity. And that's because, like Timothy, we have flesh head too. <laughs> and our flesh head will try to convince us of a false identity an identity that comes from what we do or what we fail to do, one that places value on how much money we make or don't make, a false identity. And this is what we see back in James chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. James says, Let the poor brother of a lowly station rejoice in his exalted station as a Christian. He's still dealing with the identity issue. See, the world says, poor lowly brother in Christ who doesn't have any money, Oh, poor, <laughs> poor baby, I guess we'll help you out. No, he says, no, don't take on the identity of being poor. You are rich in faith. If you have faith, you can become rich because God will help you do it. So he's pointing the poor believer to his true identity as a son of God at the right hand of the father. Don't listen to what the natural realm tries to tell you you are and what you can and cannot have. Verse 10, talks to the rich brother. And the rich brother rejoice in his being on the level with the poor, because the rich will fade away like the flower of the grass. And for the sun comes up with its scorching heat and dries up the grass, and its flowers wither, and its beauty fades away. So the rich man will fade away in all their pursuits. I thought the rich man got a lot of extra words there. <laughs> 
I thought, really, do you have to go on so long about the rich man? <laughs> but here, James is pointing the rich man to his true identity also. If being rich is our identity, and we lose those riches, we no longer know how to live. We become just like the poor man who has to operate by faith instead of by self-effort and self-supply. You're both on level ground at the cross. Everyone comes and is accepted only by faith. In Jewish culture, you were thought to be blessed if you were rich. God must like you. You must be doing something right. <laughs> and yet we see from the Gospels, those who were rich were doing it all wrong. So it wasn't a good philosophy, a good understanding to have. Verse 12, blessed, supremely blessed, is the person who endures trial for when he stands the test. And what will we do when we have a test? We show what we know and we practice. <laughs> when we stand the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The word blessed, to be supremely blessed, means to be happy, to be envied because of the advantages we receive through God's long and large grace and favor. Long and large refer to the abundant extent of his goodness and kindness to us. All of that is in that word. God's grace is far-reaching. God's grace is abundant in his giving. And we have advantages in this world because we know Christ. We are supreme, supremely blessed. So he says, yes, there's a temptations. Yes, the circumstances can be hard. But you are supremely blessed. And you get a crown of life. Most scholars don't consider this to be an actual crown. There are scriptures where it says when we get to heaven, we get certain crowns. This is not one of them. When they had races and games and that sort of thing, when you won, you got a wreath. <laughs> what the wreath was, was public acknowledgement of what you had accomplished. That's kind of what they think this crown was, only it wasn't something physical. It has to do with us apprehending the blessings and experiencing the life of God in us and through us when we stand the test. You see, when we keep believing, and we keep believing, there's this life that crowns us. His life comes upon us. We see his life in us. We see his life through us. We see his life working in our circumstances. That's the life that crowns us. And it happens externally where other people can see it. Sometimes other people don't see it, but we see it. It's like with the $20 blessing. Did the lady know that that would be such a blessing to her? No. <laughs> but we get to see that God is at work blessing her. And we can expect the same kinds of blessings. Do for me, God, what you did for them. <laughs> we can have it all. James 1.13. Let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. According to the Webster's 1828, the word tempt means to incite or solicit to an evil act, to entice to something wrong by presenting arguments that are plausible or convincing, or by the offer of some pleasure or apparent advantage as inducement. So we see here that God is never the one who is enticing us to do something wrong. 
not even for a good cause. <laughs> when someone tries to get us to do something wrong for a good reason, we can start to waffle. But he wants us to know God never, not ever, tempts us to do evil. One of the temptations that believers have today is abortion. It's legal. Killing an infant, even after it's born, is legal. Why would somebody want to do that? They're told that the baby is severely deformed, will never have a good life, it will suffer as long as it lives, and if you're a good parent, you will abort it. You will do a bad thing to produce a good end, the relief of suffering. That is never how God works, not ever. Evil is evil. Nothing good comes from evil. And that's his point here. <laughs> when we're tempted to do evil, we have to remember nothing good comes from evil, not even if you think you have a good reason for doing it. Verse 14, but every man is tempted. He's enticed to do something he knows is wrong when he is drawn away. And the word there means dragged. <laughs> Your flesh will grab you and try to drag you to do something you don't want to do. Years ago, I used to eat uh, Oreos occasionally. I used to have a particular uh, inclination towards Oreos. <laughs> I really liked my Oreos. <laughs> but I became gluten sensitive. And of course, I couldn't eat Oreos anymore. One weekend, we had the boys, and I went grocery shopping, and I bought them Oreos. Because everybody loves a good Oreo. <laughs> and while I was putting everything away in the kitchen, my flesh head is saying, you should have a cookie. It's like, no. If I eat a cookie, I will be sick for a week. I'm very sensitive to gluten. My flesh head is literally, I could feel it, trying to drag me over to the Oreos. <laughs> it's a very strange feeling. The real me had no interest in an Oreo. Flesh head said, this will make us happy. And I was like, Fleshhead, you're stupid. That will make us sick. <laughs> you can be very divided by flesh. <laughs> flesh will try to grab you and make you do what Fleshhead thinks is best for you. See, Fleshhead knows I used to like Oreos. Fleshhead has not learned that Oreos make me sick. <laughs> but it was a very strange sensation to have part of my head drag me to do something I didn't even want to do. That's the power of flesh head. <laughs> Lust <laughs> here refers to the longing of something forbidden. When every man is tempted, he is drawn away and dragged away by his own lust. It just means longing for. It usually includes the idea of something forbidden. <laughs> like Oreos for me. <laughs> but includes the idea that you set your heart on it. You know it's wrong, but Fleshhead says, oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Maybe we could just eat one Oreo. <laughs> Fleshhead will try to get you any way he can to get out of what you actually want to do and to do what Fleshhead wants you to do, and Satan for that matter. The word enticed here actually means to entrap. And it includes the idea of being tricked by bait. <laughs> I like that description because sin always promises satisfaction and it doesn't ever actually deliver. It may scratch an itch for a moment, 
but it just causes more itchiness. <laughs> it won't cause the itchiness to go away. <laughs> it's like the slogan for Lay's potato chips. You can't eat just one. You can't. You ever tried to eat one potato chip and walk away? Praise God if you can do it. <laughs> Verse 15. When the lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. When longing for something forbidden is consented to. You see, the real me had no inclination toward the Oreo anymore. But if I sat around and put my heart on it, tried to figure out a way I could get that Oreo, <laughs> what happens is you start to conceive it. You start to see yourself partaking of it. It starts to drag you closer and closer to its finished end, which is death. When the longing for something forbidden is consented to, it causes our imagination to conceive the things longed for. And before you know it, you're doing the forbidden action. And then the next thing you know, you've eaten the entire bag of potato chips. <laughs> and when you're finished, you realize you just killed your diet. <laughs> the sin brought forth death. <laughs> now, I tried to lighten that up a little bit because sin is a serious business. Yes, potato chips aren't generally known to be sinful. <laughs> but it doesn't really matter what it is you're longing for if you know it's not for you. If we let our brain, if we let flesh heads say, let's figure out a way to get this. This will satisfy me. This will make me happy. You're done. You're going to end up doing what you didn't even want to do in your spirit. Where does all this activity take place? In our flesh head. All of that conceiving and bartering and maneuvering to get what flesh head wants, none of that takes place in the mind of Christ. And we have the mind of Christ. That day, there is nothing in me that wanted that Oreo. It was all flesh. That just tells you how stupid flesh is. <laughs> it's our flesh head that's full of the bad pictures of God and the really bad pictures of ourselves. And flesh has all the bad information in the world in there. There's so much junk that ends up in our head that we think is true, and it really isn't. Our flesh head tells us that we can't resist. Boy, that was true about the Oreos. You can't resist. You're powerless against Oreos. <laughs> no, I'm not. That may have been true a long time ago, but I can do all things through Christ. I am a brand new person in Christ Jesus, and I have all the power of God to say no. That's not who I am. Our flesh head is always very short-sighted. It thinks it's making us happy. But in reality, sooner or later, sin always brings forth the power of death. And that's not necessarily physical death, but it can include death. The power of death can look like smoking cigarettes for 40 years and getting lung cancer. The power of death can look like participating in adultery and ending up in divorce. The flesh head always wants to give us an illegitimate way to meet legitimate needs. The power of death can work in things like telling your boss off and then getting fired. God, why'd you do this to me? 
No, Fleshhead. <laughs> Let's put credit where credit is due. Fleshhead brings forth the power of death. Death is the absence of light and love and life. It's the absence of God. So when we find our flesh demanding things, we need to remember in the power of the mind of Christ that flesh head is short-sighted and he doesn't care what it will cost you. So how do we deal with the temptations of our flesh head? The same way Jesus did. When Satan came to Jesus to tempt him to sin, within the temptation was the question of Jesus' true identity. If you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Jesus answered, Matthew 4, 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Let me tell you what this does not say. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of scripture that was written down. That's usually how we interpret it. When we talk about the word of God, we think about the scripture. Is scripture the word of God written down? Yes. You need something better than that. You need the word of God in your mind. It says, proceedeth <laughs> every word. And the word there is Raymond, every spoken word of God. God speaks. And if you're not sure it's him, then you go to the word and say, is this legitimate? Is what I believe I'm hearing from you, is this really the same as what you say in your word? Because God will never lead us to do anything that is not right in his eyes. Whatever we believe we hear God saying, he'll confirm it in his word. It'll have the same character. So we need that constant word of God, his constant speaking to us in our mind of Christ. What I want you to come away with today is that you have a brand new identity and your flesh head will try to tell you that you are not what God says you are. But we are what Christ says we are. We have his same glory. We have his same light. We have his same love. We have his same power. We can live in this world in spite of the temptations of our flesh head. We can overcome and conquer because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. There is nothing we cannot overcome. It doesn't matter what the temptation is. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Amen. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is so explicit. You don't maricoddle us regarding the truth. You tell us the truth. Sin brings forth death. It works death in our life. And if we give into it and let it become a habit, it will destroy everything it touches. Father God, I thank you that we are not under the power of sin. Yes, we have flesh, but we are not under the power of sin. We do not have sin in us. We will never be a sinner. We have been born again from the dead as righteous, holy, pure, and glorious, just like you. Father, and I thank you that you help us to be able to distinguish what is us, because what is us is what is you. Flesh head is not us. It is our affliction, but it's not us. We are just like you in our spirit. And Father, God, I thank you fully equipping us with everything we need to do the things and to live the way you've called us to live. In Jesus' name, amen.